0: Hi everyone, for this episode of Prop Interviews, I had the complete pleasure of interviewing a makeup legend, artist Linda Mason. So I'm so excited to be able to have spoken through her career because she really pioneered creating elaborate makeup looks on the runway and I was so blessed to have the chance to ask her some questions and talk through things and it was a really interesting convo. Please check out all her work at the end and enjoy the episode
1: Yes. All I mean, right.
0: Yes, I didn't want to do a video because I've had to fashion a sort of den to keep the audio condensed because I'm, I'm currently staying with my family home um, in the UK, so I'm trying to yeah. get all of my mad work done um, in very peculiar locations. so I apologize if there's any feedback noise, my producer will edit all of that out.
1: No no, no. So this is good. It's now I can uh, I can hear you better actually now. So it's, good. it's getting better. Good. How are you holding up during the um during this uh lockdown thing? Are you okay? Are you uh
0: Yes, I'm doing okay. It feels a bit strange because just before um lockdown France went into their lockdown a week before, and my partner's there, and we've got a renovation property there. So he was all kind of like ready to get all the garden stuff arriving, and and it was like, well, what do we do? Does he come back to the UK with me, or does he stay there to take care of all the stuff that's still going to arrive? So he's there, so we're kind of parted at the moment, which is sad. But yeah,
1: it's <laughs> very.
0: yeah it's a bit it's one of those annoying things but thank god we have all these devices so we can still talk every day and and it's not too bad (laughs) yeah how about you anyway are you doing okay
1: yes yes i am you know new york uh, is an interesting place to be in at this time because of course it's Uh, you know, totally emptied out and you could still walk around the streets and and not really be bothered because I'm actually in Manhattan. Yes. And so um, I got into a little bit of a routine um, that would get me out first thing in the morning so that I could get going with my day. But each week's been a little different. Obviously, you know, depending on the mood, you know, the first week was, "Oh, oh, great, let's get a lot of things done. The second week kept going, and then after that, it's like, what is going on here? Yes. Um, you know, and you get sort of ups and downs of, of this is crazy, the world has gone mad. Um, you know, is this, a, you know, a total disaster area? What's happening? And then I started to read a lot more than I, I usually do about the whole thing. <laughs> and um, sometimes that's, sometimes that's actually better, I feel. You know, once you're more informed, once you've really got into it, then you start feeling you get a better understanding and you can form your own opinions. And so so that has been incredibly helpful. I went through, you know, a very difficult week and then came out of it feeling much more positive this week so it's good that you're doing the interview this week
0: (laughs) oh good good and it's I'm I'm very nervous and excited to talk to you because I've been such a huge fan of your work for many years and it feels surreal because I I don't know why but I did not know you were from England until I started doing research for the interview and I was like
1: How did you feel like in France uh, used to think I was American when I worked in Paris <laughs> but I think I've been looking the more i uh, I look at your uh, work and, and uh, what you've done, I'm so impressed Joseph It's just amazing. I'm oh really my in, goodness, I mean you know admiration. Um, you know, I had no idea too. I've been discovering a few things, you know, obviously <laughs> I looked you up a little bit, but I've still been discovering. You know, oh. discovering things and and you know the fact that you won the prince's trust award, and, oh. and you know all of those wonderful things you know the year generation competition, I know they're very, very stiff, very, very stiff, and also you do absolutely beautiful work. I was looking at your work, and it's really, really beautiful, so
0: thank um, you and, that and, means and, so much thank you
1: yeah
0: so i I think like the majority of my work that's been more professional is kind of missed the the radar because my youtube work that was self-driven which i find is like my most amateur work is the stuff that was very successful so it's like yes yeah i I
1: like what i saw on youtube thank you (laughs) yeah you know sometimes sometimes that's it's good to you know even with musicians when you capture them a little bit more in the raw instead of everything too too, you know thought about and transformed it's it's just really wonderful to appreciate that to be able to (laughs) see things like that it really is
0: yes Uh, would you mind if I asked you some questions about go ahead
1: (laughs) absolutely go ahead
0: thank you so you were born in Sunderland
1: correct
0: and you're a Virgo Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, your mum was a fashion designer, so
1: well, she she wasn't actually a fashion designer, but she did. Um, she, wa- she was tra- she was she tra- was probably trained as a tailor, but you know that was before the war, um, so she didn't really have time to do anything with it, and she uh, was more making our clothes and making dresses that she would see in newspapers and magazines in the fifties that were your gowns. Um, you know, she'd see something on the front of the newspaper or in the magazine, and three days later she'd be wearing it. It was really fantastic, so it was very inspiring. Even then, you know, she, she was like a fairy tale princess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> was she naturally just gifted, and she wanted to just create things, or did she go out and and like do it as a discipline?
1: No, she was naturally creative, and. I think also in the 50s, people, she's, she was naturally created, but when I think about it, it was not on the level of a normal 50s person. Um, she transformed our house. You know, she had people knock walls down and do the type of construction that didn't happen until years later. She had that, you know, possibly it was the end of the 50s when she started to do that. And then, you know, in future years, I saw a whole street of semi-detached houses sort of totally transform with people um, doing that t- same type of construction, adding things on. But, you know, there are things that stick in your mind like very strongly when you're a child. And I remember her standing there, this housewife, <laughs> if you want to look at it that way, suddenly housewife, in a room... with men, with, you know, the people who she was asking, the construction and the architect, whoever it was that she was talking to, I know it was these men that were in the position of power at that time, saying, I want this wall down. I want this. And they're saying, but this can't be done. This can't be done. (laughs) And I was saying, and she was saying, uh, this is what I want done. And so, you know, I, I think that is an incredible it's a, it's a very small thing, but I think it's an incredible and empowering thing for a young woman to have seen. I didn't realize until, obviously, much, much later. But to see uh, her question, her question what had been the authority about what could be done. Mm. Um, and and transformed this, you know, not huge house into something very beautiful with using the light, you know. And uh, so the light that she brought into our home through how she transformed it was um, incredibly different and, and very inspiring. And I think that most people, when they want to, when they want to do a transformation, they say, oh, I need a new room, or I need this, or I need that. She thought through how could she take advantage of everything that was possible from outside to to you know um, improve what was on the inside, which was very which was really great. Mm. Do you have siblings? Um, yeah, I, I did have a brother. He's passed away now. He was smoking from the age of eleven, with what people did, you know, in those days. So oh obviously, my gosh. his life uh, ended. You know, fifty three. Um, he, he was very uh, inspiring too. He was uh, fearless, let's put it that way. Okay. And as he knew I was absolutely terrified, he used to do everything, everything to make me more frightened.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did you notice that there was like a different expectation between um, you and him, you being a girl and he being a boy, or did you always see your mum as that example of someone that just went out there and did it?
1: Um, As far as my brother and I were concerned we were treated equally. Mm. We both did the washing up. We both had to do certain things. Um, Unfortunately for my brother, uh, he was a a boy scout, and I wanted to go on their outings, and the scoutmaster's daughter was going, I had to go. So (laughs) he hated it, honestly. So we were treated absolutely the same. I think that 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 there was a major thing as far as getting older was concerned I think I was more I feel like I was you know luckier I feel like I was much luckier because there weren't any expectations of what I could do like he was expected to go into the family business I was expected to just enjoy my freedom Mm. and to choose to do what i wanted to do so that was the major difference and i always felt like that was you know wasn't the fact that we were treated i think nowadays obviously you could think um i could have gone into the family business then it was just absolutely not expected i was a we were baker and confectioners and we had shops and a bakery um but I think if if I'd had the same thing around, I would have tried to interest me actually in the business. Um, and uh, uh, I think I was influenced by the sweet shops, all the makeup, all these fabulous, fabulous, you know, colors, and little things, and mm. things that were fragile, <laughs> <laughs> Um but uh I, like I said, I felt I felt like I was luckier because of that uh, the freedom I had being a girl
0: so what how did you start modeling because i I noticed that in your bio, you were modeling in Paris for five years. so how did yeah. your path lead you there
1: you, you know what I mean this is something I never really tell anyone, but um when I was a teenager, so beginning to i I was taller than most other people. I mean, now it's not terribly tall. I mean, I'm only 5'7". Five, five, I was 5'7", 5'6 5'7". If you look at it in feet. Uh, um, but I was that height from being about 12 or 13.
0: You know, ah, okay. Younger. So
1: I was really a lot taller than other other girls in my class, and I used to make myself smaller. So I think that my parent, my mother wanted me to go she took me through to Newcastle and she had me go to this sort of modeling school or girls finishing school there (laughs) where they made you walk and stretch yourself up and walk a little better and everything. So I started to model a little in Newcastle actually. Um, Then I went to children's nursing school. And then when I went to Paris, uh, you know, I ended up back in Paris and I trained with Lancôme uh, as a beautician, but that was, sort of a long way around. I'd been to Beirut for three years, you know, I went back to Paris and I actually went to Paris because my parents had taken my brother and I there when I was 10 and I, I fell in love with it and my mother absolutely loved it. So, you know, it was sort of a continuation of something she would have loved to have done. Um, so back to the modeling and in uh, Paris, when I was a little older in Paris, well, a little older, I, I was 23. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I was going to work for, I felt like I, I was going to work for Lancôme, but they were offering a job that I didn't want to do. Um, and which meant traveling again. And I had already traveled and I wanted to really make a home in Paris. So I went out there. I think what, what was interesting about you know what I read about you Joseph is that you went out there and looked for opportunities yes um you you did everything obviously everything you were doing you were doing it to your utmost and I'm sure you still do yes so it is a question <laughs> of a worth work ethic mm. I had seen my parents work very hard especially my father I'm um, getting up at you know, two o'clock in the morning, and and uh, going to the bakery, walking to the, bakery, you know, all of this type of thing, and I think that is ingrained in someone seeing that type of work ethic. So I was here; I was in Paris. I had I was offered this job. Um, I felt like I, there was some strong intuition and strong thing inside of me said, you know, no, don't take it. It seemed, it seemed, it seemed. Uh, what's the word, sort of very silly at the time. I was going on a whim. I had no money. I had no job. I had nothing. Um, but uh, I, I went then went out and looked for modeling jobs, and I actually ended up modeling. And it was an interesting side to the modeling because it was, you know, there, my height, which had gone from being tall to staying stationary, so for a model, it was pretty small, but my build, the shoulders I had, my torso and everything was ended up being very good to sort of do the construction of clothes on a certain size. So I did a lot of showroom modeling. I did haute couture. I did showroom. And, I, and what was wonderful about that was seeing the creative, the designers actually making those clothes on me, doing those fittings and seeing how they did it and how it worked. And then also... Uh, having the opportunity to, you know, either be given or purchase clothes at a very, very cheap price, very reasonable price. And so these were really great quality clothes. So there I went (laughs) back from the type of clothes my mother used to make, which were basically haute couture, you know, for us as children, for my brother and I, as children, we had these beautiful coats, these beautiful outfits. She had the same, she had very beautiful clothes, and then, of course, you go through a period where my actually you know it, <laughs> it was actually a good time because um it was an inspirational time because there was Biba and Mary Quant yes. and all of those types, incredibly creative and fun and it was an it was a great time the 60s as far as clothing was concerned um, and i remember the the when i went to paris and i went to paris the first time i mean the first time as a as sort of an adult and i was 17 18 this is before i went back and i went over in miniskirts and bright shoes and just it was like Paris was you know it always is a pretty serious place um and they were like what is going on here a green miniskirt and orange shoes or something like <laughs> that or maybe it was the other way around so it was a lot of fun because it was you were in England or through with the british press and what was happening in london your you know, your imagination was encouraged, and your freedom was encouraged by that. And it wasn't just a question, it was also an individuality that was encouraged. You were, um, so where was I? I'm lost. <laughs> uh,
0: I was going to ask you about um, your time in Lebanon. Like what? Because at, at, at the time, I assume it was when Lebanon was considered to be like this f- very beautiful one. Because there was a Bridget Bardot was frequented there. And so, so what was what was it like to be in Lebanon?
1: Well, I, I, when I first went there, it was an incredible culture shock. Mm it was very different, you know, walking of course, I went there in miniskirts. Yeah. Oh gosh! <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was uh, 1967. I went there in miniskirts. It was a little of a culture shock, but it was it was an, an incredible education because of uh, having it gave me an understanding of different cultures. You know, as I grew, I realized you know, the respect that you should have for other people and their cultures. But there was a very free society and uh, they are an absolutely wonderful, wonderful people and they still are uh, as hospitable and and special. And uh, I feel very much in love with the country after... So I think it, what was good about that was it broke down this barrier in me. Um, it was not like going to Paris and living in Paris. Paris was Europe. Paris had been there when I was 10. My mother loved the place. It wasn't an easy place, but it was very different from actually going to Beirut. And in one way, the Lebanon was almost easier because, you know, people were just so, so, so nice and so helpful. And I was offered you know a number of types of jobs and and I just had a fabulous i loved it
0: <laughs> and in seventy five there was a civil war in lebanon and was yes you, you were you did you go back and forth during any of that time or or were you focused more on in Paris at that time?
1: I went back and forth a little in the early seventies because I moved to paris again you know in the it was uh, sort of the seventy nineteen seventy um mm. I went back totally in seventy one seventy two and by seventy five I wasn't going back anymore, but I, I did have, you know, a relationship that continued on. Um so my heart my heart was bleeding. I mean, I felt like I needed to go because, you know, but then I couldn't and I started makeup, I was crazy about makeup, you know, mm. just life. Just life happens to um and I did get to go back but a couple of years ago and I hope to go back again. So
0: yeah.
1: um I there's a lot of things I'd like to do, <laughs> a lot of things.
0: Yes, yes. We'll have loads of time when we're out of this lockdown situation. <laughs> yeah. So in Paris, you went from Lancome to Helena Rubinstein. Yes. What led you to Helena Rubinstein? Because they were, they were very kind of innovative in their own right because they had like automatic mascara and waterproof mascara, which was new for that kind of era. So what led you there?
1: Well, it was a very interesting time at um, at Helena Runstein, but I I didn't, um, what happened was I was, I started working as a freelance makeup artist. This was, you know, I was actually 28 when I started working as a freelance makeup artist. What happened was, you know, I trained with Lancome when I went back to Paris in the early 70s. They they, um, wanted to work with me and then I decided against it and I modeled, but I was never a great model and I never earned any money, not, you know, very much money. I just sort of survived. That's the same as um, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was doing something, uh, you know, I was fun. It was enjoyable. And then I was, uh, I, but because I love makeup, I kept teaching it in this sort of um, a club, a um, club. A sort of a modeling club where uh, no, no, it was L Club. it belonged it had been started by the magazine L. and so I would teach it you know a couple of times a week. groups of women would come in so I, at the time so I got to train with different makeup products because then I had to speak about them and teach them and things like this. And at one of these events, um, one of the women explained the job of a freelance makeup artist to me. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I could earn money doing this. Mm. And she said to me, if you would like to do, I'll introduce you to our photography. If you would like to do some makeup for us for our press release, uh, I would love you to do it. And I thought, so fantastic, really so fantastic. So she introduced me to a really great photographer called Sammy George. And I started working with him day and night. And he always had these gorgeous model girlfriends. And so all we did was test. And he would let me take three hours, four hours, any amount of time on one makeup, which was I had no <laughs> idea how much, how fast you're supposed to do the makeup. Um, you know, you speed up later. But he was so patient. And it was so wonderful. So I built up a portfolio um, and I went out the same thing, you know, at one point I, th- I thought, you know, I thought, oh, you're supposed to be like faithful to the one photographer. And then I realized, well, you know, he doesn't have any work for me. I've got to earn a living with this. And yes. I went out and found other photographers and called magazines and art directors and editors. And I didn't quite even know who to call it magazines because I was so new to this type of work. Um, and then as I started working, um, Hel- Helena Rubinstein approached me. I was approached by them because my name started to get around. Um, and people started talking about me because I was putting myself out there all the time. And, you know, sort of basically, where did she come from? You know, what's she doing yeah. here and stuff like that. Um, and... Uh they they approached me to see if I was interested in doing their um uh, you know, the makeup for them, sort of the makeup looks and working for the collections because they were doing a lot of collections then. And um they actually had a fashion line at the time. They had a boutique on saint Santinore and they were trying they had they were very, very, very in advance. Mm-hmm. Very in advance. There were some incredible people working for them, in the, from the fashion industry. There was a Melka Trianton who was a big stylist, who worked with um, Thierry Mugler and, and, and lots of other people styling their fashion shows. And there was um, who else? Uh, Jacqueline de who, who was this. She seemed like just an airhead socialite, but she wasn't. She yes. was an incredibly talented, uh, hardworking woman, but who made who had this ability. She had so much charm and she had the ability to make everything s- seem so easy. And I learned a lot from these people that I met actually through through the. And I, I got the job. I, I, um, they asked me to put in a few drawings, and I'd never. I didn't know how to draw, and I went out and I was sitting down, I sat down in my place and I thought, well, what what can I do? You know, I can't draw. And I thought, what What was I good at in school? (laughs) I was good at geometry. So I started doing squares and triangles, and I made my faces that way, you know, with the geometrical shapes. And um and and I got the job at Helmer Rubenstein. So do you mean do you
0: <laughs> that's incredible do you mean you like broke the face down into those shapes and then you were like, uh, oh, the eye there's like a di- Yeah, then a di- I drew everything oh, into
1: that. And, I and sometimes see. And sometimes I'd use objects. Like I remember one of the sketches I did, I had I'd put it I don't know why, but some sort of like a Uh, A salt and pepper shaker is the nose and mouth or something ridiculous. But I don't know. (laughs) I would experiment a little bit with those, uh, the geometrical faces. That's
0: interesting. Do you feel like we are spoiled for choice now with all of the amazing products that we've got on the market? Because obviously there was much more of a limitation at the time when, when at the start.
1: Yes, there was a limitation. but, But, you know, what was really interesting is... Uh, you searched for things. So what? What would, for instance, when I would go round the rooms trying to do the collections for the designers in Italy, and there was this little perfumery called uh, Perfum- perfumerie Ditta Bianchi. And she had these lipsticks from the 40s and 30s and 40s and things, these really old lipsticks. So we managed to get dry lipsticks because Thierry Thierry Mugler always liked the lips, always liked the lips very matte and dry and strong. And I managed to find lipsticks from then. And so you had to really search out things. You'd really go what was really wonderful. I mean, in Italy and in Japan, when I went to Japan and... And in Paris, even, you know, all of these little shops that you could go to look for things. Or even I found stuff at the time in Galleries Lafayette, which, mm. you know, I found like the matte pastel colours. Yes. And do you know that matte colours, even now, are pretty difficult to find. Yes.
0: Matte colours. They're so difficult without, especially the bright colours, because they kind of fall apart as you apply them, don't they, sometimes?
1: Yeah. Yeah, they don't. They go on. I mean, the thing is, I think it. If they're the bright colors, they fall apart. You have to put if you put creams under them. Yes. I would always. That's the same thing. I'd, I'd apply a cream to the lid first and then blend them into the cream. It made it a bit more difficult, but um, you know, I sort of work with things. And then, so so it was good. Then what was great was, like I said, being able to go out there, visit these small shops. Take your time. Look at everything. Test everything. You know, it was great. I mean, now I I, I feel sorry because there's, there are some great places here in New York. There are, but uh, that you can do that at. But but it's still not the same as being able to make discoveries in in Japan and places like that. I mean, I discovered you know, um, Shumera, Shumera. Um, yes. I discovered when I was in Japan before he he was well known I don't know whether he is as well known anymore oh uh, my god I love one, him yeah and I I uh, when I was in Japan I lived there for a couple of months um he contacted me and said he'd like to meet me and all of this and and I had a meeting with him he was really wonderful but I, I had checked out his products before, and, and I thought they were great. The colors were great, everything's fabulous. And I hated his packaging. He had this yes. dark green packaging. <laughs> and I thought his colors were just amazing. Um, so when we went into the meeting, I said, uh, I, "I he was such a gentleman, such a very, very wonderful, special person and uh he asked my opinion on the product obviously and i said you know how how much i liked it and how the colors were fabulous i said but how much i hated his packaging <laughs> dior dior at the time had um you know that dark blue packaging like a heavy plastic yeah and his was the same but in dark green and i told him i thought it sort of was too much like the dior and, too heavy and you couldn't see the colors and you needed something to see the colors. And then, you know, a couple of years later, a few years later, he came out with that beautiful transparent packaging, which was which was a first, which was really beautiful.
0: Very clever. Um,
1: so I was very happy to he'd
0: taken uh note of my opinion definitely definitely (laughs) I recently was working with um Pooj in Paris and one of the ladies from um the magazine Beauty Papers Maxine trained with and and she trained with him and she was telling me stories in Paris about how they have to learn facial things and they have to stand on one foot like a flamingo and I was like is this real? It just sounded so elaborate, and I was like, my goodness. It just
1: has to stand on one foot?
0: Yes, I was like, <laughs> it just. <Why>? Sounds... <laughs> I,
1: <don't
0: know. laughs> I was just fascinated by these stories, but I was like, oh my goodness.
1: <laughs> when did she train?
0: She, I think she was a makeup artist in the 80s going to the 90s but
1: she... yes that's after me um that was the big time but I tra- you know I trained more in the late 60s early 70s yeah
0: yes yes started. and kept on going so when you started to work with more of the fashion shows it was kind of like a first to see the makeup reflect the idea of the clothes and you were very much yes. part of that change so yeah you obviously explaining about your mum making clothes and how the brands you work with linked fashion with art you always saw it kind of like as an extension of the clothes so when did you first start to create looks for fashion shows and was it was it more like um how you've explained it with the um brand helena was it like it it just was a natural transition from the beauty to the clothes or did you have to kind of fight to get the designers to be expressive in the makeup because i know some people are very strict on their ideas
1: yeah (laughs) it depended on the designer uh for instance you know the very first designer i worked with angelo talazzi it was for the Patu collection and um i i you know, watch the girls show the clothes, you know, before before I actually did the makeup for his show. And I, I thought the makeup was so horrific with the clothes. His clothes <laughs> were absolutely beautiful, really, really beautiful. Uh, he was incredibly talented, Angelo Talazzi. And so obviously the lines, the makeup lines, had a, a selection of colors they wanted to push for that season. But those colors can be used anyway. They can be used differently. So, okay, they want to use these colors, but it's also a question of how you use something. And so uh, I was determined to have the girls looking fabulous. And I was determined to have them looking, you know, as much as you can bring out your personality, your own individual personality, there is a way of using the same set of colors. On different people and bringing out their personality, you might, you know. So with 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 Angelo, I I, uh, I didn't I didn't devise like with Thierry, it was a look, and we had to transform all of these models into this particular look. With Angelo, first of all, it was using these colors, making the girls feel fa- fabulous, and using them in a way that they could feel comfortable, and and yet it still it still was new as new as the clothes were. Mm. And obviously that worked because the models who I worked on, um, a couple of those girls, there was one, Anna, who the designers loved, she was really wonderful. She worked for Thierry and all of those. And then um, there was another one, Wallace, but I think it was mainly Anna in the beginning. And they all said, would you like to do so-and-so, jean Paul you know, Thierry Mugler and Anne-Marie Beretta. And they introduced me to these other designers. So I started to work with these other designers. Now, it, it depended on the design, yeah. There were people who said, uh, you know, and and it doesn't happen from one day to the next that you get people's confidence and, and they basically say, do whatever you want. And also, uh, Thierry Mugler, um, and marie Ver- they had a very strong image of the type of woman and the type of face that they wanted. Um, and I learned a lot from Thierry because he used to be a ballet dancer and he loved those long lines, those double lines, the white inside of the eye. And he also liked it. Perfectly done. Mm. Perfectly done. And I mean, you know, this is like a big... Uh, even then, you know, they were doing the show on quite a big stage, not not as big as they do nowadays, but still in the uh, in the late 70s they were doing... Because this is the late 70s. They were doing it on the on a fairly big stage and it was still had to be perfect. So we did about two or three trial makeups. And um, the same with Anne Marie, two or three trial makeups. And then, you know, it went through, then I did a lot of shows in in Italy and that was really wonderful. Each designer was very, very different. And um, it was an incredible exercise because sometimes we do five shows a day. I was in charge of like, two or three sets of makeup artists you know mm. these were hella rumored makeup artists who lived in italy and uh so I, I doing that you know i don't know it's like i realized that that's that's the type of thing i love i love working under a under a certain type of pressure yes and uh you know with incredibly creative and uh it's not just the creativity; it's the it's the the way they are, the put the way the the team they have that they work with, and how much of a perfectionist they are, and how uh, how how much of a a vision you know they're visionaries, but they're not they're visionaries and people who can who are able to execute it. I think I think fashion shows. Uh, I hope they continue because they are. Um, you know they are an amazing thing an amazing coming together of talents and um i mean look at vivian westwood she's fabulous absolutely fabulous and think of the you know the evolution that she's gone through but she's always had this very definite style in a way but definite style um so to be able to work with all of these people was, was just, has just been amazing. You know, it was just an amazing time for me at the end of the seventies and the beginning of the eighties was when I worked with these designers. It's
0: amazing. It's really, really amazing. Um, a lot John of the, Galliano. Yes. That, fabulous.
1: I, I, absolutely fabulous. And such a gentleman. Um, and, uh, you know, Yoji Yamamoto, uh, Rei Kawakubo from Comme des Garçons. I was very fortunate to work with her when she first came to Paris. I'd seen I'd seen Rei's collection in Japan, and I felt I felt madly in love with it. Not seeing it specifically as something I could wear, but seeing a designer who had totally um, created a collections that enhance the beauty of the Japanese woman um that you know that I felt the traditional Japanese kimonos enhance. they if you look at the Japanese woman in a you know in a in a uh a kimono I mean the the beauty I mean it's just an incredible beauty and I felt like Rei Rei Kawakubo you know really uh, enhanced and emphasized the beauty of the Japanese women um I love Issei too Issei Miyake I was mm. working with him in Paris long before anyone but Issei his clothes that uh, I felt were more westernized more for a westernized you know more foreign American or European or as opposed to uh pieces pieces are good for the Japanese too but it wasn't just something some vision which was specifically for specifically for the type of woman that has sort of more delicate uh, features and this. okay <laughs> I could go on and on <laughs> oh no
0: i i'm i'm i love it it's interesting because a lot of the shows you've worked on um the even when the makeup of the show is subtle the colours are correct which I think is quite rare for the time especially on darker skin models because there wasn't a lot of foundations for darker skin and they sometimes look grey in some of the images but if you look at the uh, early Moogla shows when there are darker skin models they, the foundations were always almost mixed yeah. to match and I was going to ask you because obviously um, you Yes, well
1: this was you know, I looked at the, I had a lot of trouble with that in the beginning because all also, you know, the shades of the skin, mm. it, there's so many different shades. There's more the blue, there's more the yellow, there's more the red. Um, and so uh, all the different nationalities. And I think I was the type of model that they were using in the late 70s was a lot more varied yes. than later on in the 80s. The, you know, the, the darker skinned models seemed to go out of fashion at a certain time. Uh, Whereas when I started, I had to find things. And I used to look at what the models themselves were using. And that was fashion, a product called Fashion Fair, which I believe still exists here in the States. And, you know, I saw how heavy it was. And a lot of the colors were very red, a little too red. You know, after that, I had to try to find things that were more yellow because some of the skins, I thought the beauty the beauty was, you know, in that shade. And I mean, for instance, the black girls, girls who are really black, it was definitely more blue. So it actually take some blue maybe and mix it in. All mm. um, right. the same thing with the yellow. I would take some yellow, I'd find yellow and mix that in. Uh, so that's, that's how I figured it out. And then, you know, um, so I always feel that I've managed to, but I—it's true. I hate that greyness. It like, was so still, funny, you know. Even even now, I mean, even before, I still happen sometimes. You know, you think it's not going to be gray, and you put it on, and you think, oh no, what have I done? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: uh, is when you look at some of these images, um, you can definitely see where there is an artistic kind of approach because you really mix the colour like it's an oil or an acrylic paint and and the colours reflect that. But then you see some of the fashion shows and they just... It's like a pink sort of cadaver colour. It's really strange to look back. Yes. But yeah. we're spoilt for choice now, thank goodness, that there is um, so much inclusion with the foundations and things like that because now you can, you can mix them, but there are loads of options now. (laughs)
1: yes exactly I mean MAC has some fantastic you know fantastic shades too I mean all of the lines have some great shades darker shades deeper shades I still find I I made you know when I had the Art of Beauty and um, the uh, boutique gallery place I had in Soho uh, I used to mix my own foundations Yes, and I did I, I know that I had the absolute best one for somebody who had a deeper yellower skin I really made a point of making making that sort of perfect, and of course the really pale one because I'm a redhead and I yes. always had <laughs> trouble finding something really pale. So of course there were two shades. I knew that I'd really, really done well.
0: Yes, that's um, so true with the paler shades. I remember even when um, when I was sixteen and seventeen, I was going to Tokyo for the first time, and you couldn't buy drugstore foundations that were pale. And then when I went no, to Tokyo. It's still- no, no, you can't. And the, still
1: can't. But I can't. You look and you think they're <laughs> pale and, and they're dull. And yes. they're dull. I, try, I, I Yeah, I agree.
0: It's um, so funny. But then when I went to Tokyo, I found pale shades and mixes and I was like, like a rosy mix or like a white yes. mix. And I was like, it's so bizarre how we're, we're. Thank goodness. It's like, I think I caught the last part of of the world before the internet kind of allowed us to buy things from overseas. Because yes. I saw it just before you could access everything online. But it was it was surreal to me to think, oh, you can go to a country where Asian people have traditionally darker skin and you find the paler shades than you can yes. find in England. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. Yeah,
1: I think it's because a lot of the British people like want to be tanned. Yes. <laughs> Don't you think?
0: Yes, I totally agree. I totally agree. So in the eighties and um, the Wall Street Journal um did a, a feature or they kind of reviewed your work so they they reviewed you and they said you took face painting out of punk and put it into high fashion. So I was interested to think about like how subculture kind of impacted on you as an individual and how that moved into your work. Did you see yourself as like punk?
1: No, um, no, I didn't at all. Um, I just see myself as a person yes. <laughs> uh, doing something they're passionate about and experimenting and taking risks. And what happened was towards the end of my time in Paris, um, you know, I started to experiment more and more and photographers. I did a sort of an, um, I worked on so experimental work with a photographer there and when I came to New York, I was thinking, oh, it's like my little, my odd side came out, and I was thinking, oh, let's have fun here because I'd worked so much in Paris. I thought I knew it all, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but I had I had a lot of experimental work in my portfolio. And some of the big agents said, you know, you're never going to work with that. You have to tame it down. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. And I sort of looked and I thought, well, you know what? I really want to do what I want to do. And, um I, I I uh I took I was thinking about becoming a film director actually and, and I took a course at NYU and then I, I got caught up in the makeup world again um because I got people like incredible photographers like Deborah Turberville who I'd worked with in Paris sort of you know asking for me again and 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 she she was amazing and then for some i can't remember the first job I did with Stephen Mizel, I started to work with Stephen Meisel, and that was absolutely fabulous and he would let me do he would let me do whatever I wanted so I did whatever I wanted, and he had this great light that came down on the girl's face, and so I could start just making them up when they were in action instead of in the in the um dressing room and i worked with a lot of other really really lovely photographers too very very nice uh photographers you know Arkane, richard afton and i mean i could go on and on about that time um
0: what was it but, like to work uh, with avedon
1: uh same thing he's an absolute gentleman very very supportive um, his he he had a makeup artist, uh, I think it's Rosemary Schneider, who he worked with most of the time for most commercial work, and he'd wanted to do something a little different, and she had recommended that he work with me for that particular job. So it was already a creative job with Iman and 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 other people, um, and then I worked with them again on you know little things, a little more commercial, you know, when he when I guess Rosemary wasn't uh, available. Mm. Um, and he was always absolute gentleman um, and very, like I said, you know, just, just great. It was nice to work with him. It, it wasn't quite the same as with Stephen. Stephen was, it, Stephen was more the energy, the motion. He was more calm, more this, more, um, you know, so, so it was also a question of age. Steve was starting at, Stephen was starting out then, so it was, uh, and just willing to do anything, you know. We could mm-hmm. try anything, and I... Uh, I I went around the magazines showing the work that I wanted to do. And every time I was on a photo shoot, this is before Steve, and every time I was on a photo shoot, I would try to do something creative too. Sometimes people would look at me like I was out of my mind. (laughs) But I think it was the same thing. You you leave an impression because uh, it was pretty boring before. Yes. And then things started to change. So things started to change and... um, Gradually, gradually, uh, people, you know, certain people understood I could fortunately do other types of makeup because, you know, getting advertising campaigns at the time brought in a lot of money. Yes. Um, you know, commercials and advertising and all of that. So when it came to editorial you know, well, there were times where obviously I did pretty boring stuff, but, <laughs> you know, you can't be on the ball every time. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I was thinking about that today, and I was thinking about not being afraid to make mistakes, not being afraid to do things that other people say, what on earth is that? Yeah. It's <laughs> so important that no matter what, what age you're at, no matter when it is to be able to to be able to move forward, continue moving forward within that type of the type of field that you've chosen?
0: it's, it's very interesting as well to because I think a lot of people forget that the photography was film. So once the picture was taken, it wasn't retouched and remastered. It was exactly what what was happening on on the set. And thank God lighting changes things. But it now you you kind of erase the mistakes. And I think that sometimes In New
1: York, in New York, there was still a lot of retouching, but it was done differently. And there was a lot of retouching, touching, but not like now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You don't know what I mean, I've seen some pictures of myself and I thought, Oh my gosh, what did they put on? That's incredible. I want that filter
0: <laughs> <laughs> I kinda like that though sometimes. Like I grew up as much as I grew up the old kid that loved artistic things, I also loved all the new video games that came out when I was a kid and I like creating things digitally, almost like a digital art. And yes. I'm interested in creating filters and making mistakes with like the digital stuff now. I think all of that glitchy things in digital is very interesting. But
1: yes. <laughs> so. yeah, it's part of it's part of it's part of the way, it's part of life and, and it's interesting. It depends on I mean one of the books I put out was, you know, called Teen Makeup. And yes. I did it with my daughter when she was in high school and her friends. And I was determined to leave them a little bit as they were. In other words, if they didn't have, I didn't want a heavy base on their skin because at the time I wanted it to to be something that showed their freshness Mm. and just had them playing with color and trying to, you know, capture a little bit of the fun aspect of it. But then I was absolutely slaughtered on Amazon about, oh, the skins, they're so... Ugly that it's this that I'm thinking, well, I actually did that on purpose because and I looked in the book and I thought, they're not that ugly. They just you can see the skin. What's the problem? Yeah.
0: It's so before it's time because now we're talking about not retouching, really showing people as they are, whether it be plus size people and showing what real shapes in the like, like not everything's perfect. Uh, the other book that I thought was really amazing is the one with Paulina Poroskova on the front, which is The Art of Beauty. So th- th- how, how did you come about creating these books? Because when... We, we've already discussed that you grew up with this work ethic and you've created your own um, artistic outlets in various different mediums, whether it be film, whether it be your um, presentations of jewellery. I've seen on your website you've got so many amazing oh, yes. different things. I, I love The Mermaid's Mirror. It's so nice. <laughs> so what, what led you to create a book? Was it to teach people or was it to show people different ideas?
1: I think the very – I had a book out, and you probably haven't seen that one, in the 80s um, that I started – no, yeah, I started it in the 70s, not long after I'd started makeup. I was going to do a book that was called The Art of Makeup. But, you know, Kevin O'Quinn did The Art of Makeup later on, so I was going to do The Art of Makeup. And I was going around. I was coming over to New York, and I was sort of, you know, showing people – going to different publishers I didn't quite know how to go about it a little bit like saying I want to do this book and it's the art of makeup and or um, you know and and uh and then I did that over a period of a few years and then I thought well this isn't going to work uh in any case do I really want to do that let me do something that I'm into at the moment and it's kind of that can have a more fun aspect to it. So then I thought, what am I? What am I into at the moment? And I was into astrology. So I thought, okay, um, there was a big book out at the, in the in in the seventies that was the you know sun sign sun sign um, sun signs. That's right. So I said, oh, let me do sun sign makeovers. So then I i just get all of these girls from the different signs and study that and. I can look into more about because I was also noticing, you know, when you're on photo shoots, uh, how certain models were uh, <laughs> depending on their sign and yes. the variety of girls and the and the and their characteristics. And I thought, oh yeah, well, so and so is a so and so is a Gemini. There were a lot of Geminis in the. Uh, in modeling in that in that era and then then there still were linda's a gemini too but in the 70s when i started out there were quite a lot of gemini's because of the, the versatility i guess so i thought oh let me do this then i can study that and figure it out and all of this so i wrote a book then um and i did photographs for it i thought well that'll also you know i'd like to sort of experiment with photography so I'll start doing that a little bit experiment with photography and I get these great, these very lovely models that I'm working with and we'll do this and it'll be like tests and this and that so that was the first book now it took obviously it took like five years to get that published and I don't know how I managed to get it published (laughs) it was pure luck And, and I had moved on by the time I got that published, it, it was so tough. And I said, I will never, ever write a book again. Um, it is too difficult. And then, uh, I, I don't know, I thought there was this handbook that I love to make a book that I had. And I thought, if, I were, if ever I was to write a book, I would, again, I'd like to do something that's a handbook, that's handy for somebody to have, to look at, to learn from. You know, for people wanting to be makeup artists, because everybody used to ask me many, many questions. Now you can just go on the Internet and find the answers to everything. Uh, But then, of course, there wasn't really the Internet. So (laughs) I thought, I want this little book that somebody could have. And and, uh, so I thought about it. I, I, And then one day I met this agent, this book agent, who was the agent of a friend of mine. And she said, oh, I want that book. I want that handbook you're talking about. Can you put a dummy together? And I thought, oh, mm, yeah, okay. Well, I don't, do I really want to do another book? I put, this, I put the layout together. I put it together. And I gave it to her. And she said, yeah, I have one editor I think it would be good for. And the thing is, the editor said no. So then she went around other people. And about a year later came back to the same one who said yes. It's all a question of timing. Whenever you do anything, no matter how good you are, if it's the right time, then, um, and that uh, editor was really great. I did that book. It wasn't exactly how I'd envisaged it. I'd sort of seen it, but uh, I'm, I'm still very happy with it because it enabled me um to you know answer those questions that people were asking me and also to go back to the photographers who i had used to work with because this had this came out in the beginning of the 90s Mm. i believe yeah and so i got in contact with all of these photographers that i had worked with before and asked them you like people like Paolo reversi and Uh, and even Stephen and they were all so incredibly generous with the usage for their photos they said go ahead use it you know um, that it was a it was a lot of work going back and finding people and asking if I could use them because this wasn't a big art book like I said it was a little handbook Um, and that was um, uh, what was it called again?
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Uh, Art of BT one? the art of beauty that one
1: exactly exactly (laughs)
0: so
1: thank you um so that was so each book i've made has been also uh a part of i've tried to incorporate my life at that time into it which has been really enjoyable i mean eye candy which was the most successful is probably the one that what it was was the art director that I worked with on the other two makeup books, you know, The Art of Beauty and Teen Makeup, asked me to do the eye candy book. And I, she was, you know, that's in, incredibly, you know, sort of, she knew, she knew. She, she saw was younger it. Than me knew what the audience was looking for at the time, something about makeup. I mean, now it's incredibly tame. You know, I was taming down when I usually do. <laughs> um, and they tamed it down even further. Um, but that was... Uh, and then, you know, um, Makeup for Ageless Beauty was... Uh, you know, I did it with my clients, for women of of my age and, and even a bit, you know, younger, because there were some 10, 20 years younger, um, who were having problems and were feeling like they had to change their makeup. And some of them needed more encouragement to actually stay with their makeup, because I don't say, oh, tone down your makeup because you're getting older. I say there are certain things you can do to alter your makeup and today, but it's not necessarily, quick. if you feel really comfortable and happy with a very strong eye makeup, it can sometimes still, it becomes a part of your personality. And that is sometimes the best way for you to keep on going.
0: So, so true. And and I think that it's so important as well when people are given permission, almost. It's like some people, I think they forget they're allowed to experiment Like my, I always, when I do um, my mum's makeup, my mum really doesn't wear anything. And it's like, even today we were talking about, like I was showing her um, how to use eyebrow gel and she was like, oh, I'll get this everywhere. And I was like, what happens if you do get it everywhere? (laughs) It's makeup, it'll wash off. You're allowed to have fun. You did a beautiful
1: job on your mum, by the way. Oh my God. I love those. I thought was like, I think that is proof of, um, that is proof of a, a excellent makeup artist because, you know, there are not many makeup artists that can do older women.
0: They oh. are not.
1: They're absolutely terrified of them. And and uh, I remember I was very, um, you know, touched one day. I had this younger makeup artist who worked at Sephora come up to me and she said, I just want to thank you for your book. And I said, oh, I was thinking eye candy. She said, no, makeup for ageless beauty uh, because I think it just opens it, 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 with that book, I feel like it it opens up to a better understanding of of um, of makeup all the women and and a lot of my clients the ones that used to come to see me at the art of Beauty um, you know in Soho, they were women who had never worn makeup. Yes, they were fairly attractive women they were they a little bit looked down on it. they were intellectuals and, they were, and then they realized as they were getting older, They just wanted something to brighten them up you know your skin goes a little more yellow you don't quite have the spark and the brightness that you have the freshness of youth say and you want something to bring that back and if you can teach that woman also the fun of makeup because I have had so much enjoyment from it I have got so much enjoyment I want to share this enjoyment with people and you know I've had women converted that (laughs) never wore makeup, you know, become makeup junkies almost, but not makeup junkies thinking they had to go out looking like that every day, but makeup junkies that knew that they could enjoy it. And it didn't diminish who they were. It actually enhanced who they were because you're looking at yourself more like this art piece that you're putting out into the world and you're having fun. You're having fun doing your makeup. You know, come on, Joseph. Yes, you know how fun it is.
0: Oh, I get it. I'm a different person every time I do it. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah.
1: So, so, we're very lucky. I think it's a great, a great, a great business. We're, yes, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, in I think I look, I look upon it as being sort of a part of the art thing too. You know, yes, like, yeah, painting and all of
0: that. Well, I was going to actually ask you and. and find out a little bit more about this but i think you kind of answered it throughout um your even the name of the book is the art of beauty and it's kind of like you, you everything you do is an expression of art it hasn't got a strict medium it's it's expressive and there's some incredible images you've done where the the, the makeup is on the body and it's painted on and it looks like there's a texture to it there's an experiment in it and you also have done this successfully on canvases and produce beautiful beautiful colourful bright expressive um art pieces um is this like your focus and your passion of the right now because you
1: it is and it has been I guess for a number of years I think it all stemmed from you know as a megapodist We're perfectionists, so the sort of a breaking out of that and having to do something a little bit more freestyle, like, you know, putting on big, uh, I I don't know, I think it's all a a whole life journey, for instance, the actual energy that goes into doing a fashion show when you're actually painting somebody like that, you recapture a little that energy because you've got to keep going. You've got to find the place. You've got to do it. You know, it's sort of a whole, a whole energy thing as well as, as, as a combination of colors, like looking at all of these different colors through your life and putting them together quickly and figuring it out. And then if, if you've prepared, if you know your materials well, and you have prepared them well, then there are so many ways you can use them in and so much fun you can have with them. And uh, it's like capturing, I, I, I do it trying to capture something in the person, within the person, and uh, I find like it's great because it gives them a sort of mask to hide behind when you actually are painting like that, also it's it's an odd experience i don't know whether you've tried it yet maybe i should try it maybe i should paint you <laughs> oh
0: my god i would l- i would die did you come
1: die. to new york at all
0: oh it's it's on my list it was i was meant to be there at the moment <laughs> oh, you
1: were. all right
0: we'll have to do um, something i'll have to get you uh but take you up for dinner or lunch or something when we were allowed to travel again yeah oh yeah
1: exactly so any case it's quite an experience to be painted like that it's nothing as painstaking I mean there's an artist who I absolutely adore who I think is incredible which is who is Joanne Gare yeah I think she is amazing Uh, but it's nothing to do with that type of art the way I do the makeup is uh, you know sort of a spontaneous it's quick I prepare a certain amount of colors it's more like it's more a an energy, um, an inner thing, a, um, a uh, something, a, a, a sort of a, a, a you. You're sort of creating a dance, you know, between the model and the and the artist. It's this sort of dance, and um, so that's that's what I'm doing. And then I captured, obviously look at certain ways it can look very ugly certain ways it can look very beautiful and I was looking back on some photographs that I had done because when I did Makeup Ageless Beauty I decided to do it on these models that I'd worked with in the 80s and the 90s because I was using them for makeup some of them for makeup for Ageless Beauty and there's Frederique van der Waal uh, who I'm sure you probably know because she's you know she 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 was probably later in the in the 90s she's one of the younger ones but mm-hmm. she has now a, I think a flower company, she's Dutch but she lives in the States, so very very beautiful woman mm-hmm. um, so I painted her and I was looking back at some of these photos that I had done and I had put aside because they were so strong she was so strong that, they, but now I love them so much because they're more like they are really like a painting and it really takes, um, you really discover the person through that, their personality, through what you do when you paint them like that. Um, so I have to do something with those particular photographs because I really, really, I really love them. Oh, wow, I um, can't and, wait to see them. Uh, There's so many that are so good because they usually do, you know, a pr- pretty full series. And like I say, some I... I like straight away and some looking, it's looking back over them that I really, I really appreciate them.
0: That's funny. You always see something magical in things that you've kind of dismissed in the moment. When you look back on them, you're like, oh, my God, that was so good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's why you have to be careful with digital, because, you know, some people get rid of absolutely everything. Yes. uh, Except the ones that they are keeping. And
0: that's sort of a little dangerous, I find. But. Yes, I'm a I'm an archive or a archivist, if that's a word. I keep okay. all my files <laughs> on. I've got so many hard drives sort of pictures from when I was like even a child. I just like taking pictures of things I see. <laughs> well,
1: I hope you're organising them well. That's all I can say. Yes, it takes forever going back through
0: some. <laughs> so true. Well, I will wrap up here and say, where okay. can everyone find you? So you have a website and you're on social media.
1: Yes, I have, I think, you know, I have two uh, Instagram accounts. I have Linda Linda Mason NYC, which, you know, and then I have Beauty Art Makeup, which is more the makeup beauty type of thing. Mm. Linda Mason NYC, I try to keep it more art, but there's a lot of makeup on there too. Um, And I have a a few sites. I have a, a Beauty Art Makeup site, website. It's www. Uh, beautyartmakeup.com uh, dot com. I have a Linda Mason site, which is the sort of older archived site that I haven't had the s- strength to take away. I don't <laughs> know whether I want it. You know, it's different. I, I have difficulty getting rid of stuff. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> and then I have Linda Mason Gallery uh, dot com. Linda Mason Gallery dot com, which is the art.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm,
1: um. Uh, then, uh, you know, well, what else do I have?
0: Uh, <laughs> <all right. laughs> well, I'll add all the links um, to the Thank description you. when it's And then I posted. have, I
1: have, um, I have the, uh, you know, videos on uh, Vimeo.
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: The, and I have, you know, I do have, I haven't, I, you know what I was thinking about too, you might want to take this out. I was thinking, I would love to do videos with starting with somebody like you. Ooh. that I would put on because I have a YouTube site okay which I've never developed I sort of set it up there and everything and I've I've put one video that I made a couple of weeks ago up there about COVID-19 but it's a makeup video it's me I don't know whether you've seen it or not I have haven't
0: seen that one I'll have to check it out after yeah,
1: I haven't publicized it at all yet because I did it for this um other citizen of mine who's a choreographer and she'd asked me to do a piece a choreographical piece for um, for the Ailey Theatre and it was cancelled obviously due to so then she asked the artists who she'd asked to do this show um, she then asked them to, to make a contribution to her, to a video um, to do each do a one minute long video so I did that and I have it actually on YouTube and on on Vimeo at the moment. Fantastic. So it's called COVID nineteen.
0: I will add the details um, of that.
1: uh, Let me see. But but yeah, would you be open to it if I interviewed you on? You know on on zoom or something i have to figure out how to do it, it oh my god
0: fun. i would love to i'd absolutely be honored it would be such such a pleasure well
1: i was looking at your life and then i was thinking of all the questions i wanted to ask you and i thought like, "When well, i can <laughs> today because he's going to be asking me the questions oh well
0: you're the much more interesting person i can tell you i'm very so let me and
1: let me give it more thought and and um Oh. and then uh figure out how you know if i can start these like next week or something
0: oh i'd See? love that that would be such a pleasure all right then st- are
1: you still going to be in your family with your family next week you i think are- so <laughs>
0: if i've not okay, killed them all by all right. then
1: <laughs> all right thank you so much oh thank
0: you linda thank you and thank take you. care and take care and i'll speak to you via email right
1: and thank you so much for asking me and, and it was good getting to talk with
0: you. It was True. a pleasure. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you everyone for listening to this interview. I was very, very, very nervous, but also super excited. So hopefully it came across well. (laughs) Um, Please check out Linda's work. She has an amazing array of different ventures from her artistry to products and more. So I'll pop her links in the description below. All right, guys, take care and I'll see you in the next episode.